Hello, welcome to the Robot Dice Explosion Podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Ollie. So we're going to have an episode this time just talking about some bits and pieces that are going on in the world of war games. And then we're looking to do. Yeah, and some thoughts. And then some thoughts sort of based on those things that are happening. Um, So I think... The first one, and I'll try and get this episode out so that this is even topical when <laughs> when it's released. Um, but that's uh, that's what's been going on with Guild Ball. It's dead. Yeah. Um, yes, well, of course. Dis- discontinued is probably a better word. Yeah. Okay. So, um, given our start, I, I would suggest if you don't know what's going on with this, to actually just go to the Steamforged uh, Games website and just read the statement, which um, is interesting. So I first became aware of this by seeing on my Twitter feed uh, a Guild Ball uh, tweet or Steamforge Games tweet saying, important announcement about the future of Guild Ball, which is to say there isn't one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're essentially saying we are discontinuing development and sales of this game. You've stopped all production. But they're not. The IP isn't up for sale. They are They're keeping the IP. Yeah. So... I guess it's a possibility that they may revisit it in the future. You specifically mentioned that in the statement, going like, yeah. oh, who knows what we'll do in the future? Which I I wonder if that is a trying to be a salve to the existing players. Possibly. I mean, the really weird thing is that they ended before they actually finished the current run of production. Yeah, so you can be really upset with uh, a game... Pretty much with like, what is it, one or two months notice, essentially going, we are ceasing development on this. Yeah. You could be upset about that because you, maybe you've invested years in uh, in the game, lots of money into the miniatures, and uh, I, we know people who... Time, time and passion. Yeah, we, we, we know people who were almost going to a tournament every fortnight in the yeah. UK. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, a fortnight is two weeks for those on the other side of the Pacific. Um, <laughs> Atlantic. Atlantic. Oh, I always do that. I mean, it would also be on the other side of the Pacific. Yeah, that's true. If you go the really long way around. My wife's a geographer, so she'd be very upset with me right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I can understand what people's initial reaction was kind of like, wait, what? You, you bastards. Mm. And then the reaction... A little bit after that, when people had actually read all the statements yeah. on the Steamforge website, which, as statements go, it was a little bit like pouring fuel on the fire. because It, it was, let's call it the mixed bag of stuff. Some of yeah. it was fine. Yeah. The bit about blaming the players of being competitive in their competitive game, probably less fine. So, this is the trouble. Like You, you, make, um, you make a public statement. And you're not trained in PR, and maybe you don't have a PR department. You know, it's the war games industry, so so probably not. Yes. Are you Games Workshop? Indeed, and they still have their issues. So, <laughs> um, essentially, I can understand misreading the statement. Like the statement may have been worded to make people who are already feeling a bit raw go, "Wait a minute, you're saying that." The big problem with this game, which you designed from the ground up to be a competitive and balanced game, is that its main problem and the reason it's dying is because it's played competitively by the players. I mean, that that would really sting. I, I, I don't think it's entirely what they meant. No, I, I, I don't I think, think so. what they meant was that one of the emerging properties of the way we designed the game is that the game can be really hard to get into and doesn't actually <clears throat> provide the game experience we thought it was going to do. But it does read like you're blaming the players for playing it wrong. Yeah, and I think 
I think there are some parallels between playing uh, Guild Ball and how it became played and how War Machine became played. Unsurprisingly. It's, yeah, unsurprisingly, because the, that's, where it's, that's where the designers sort of started came out each. of. Um, more complicated, surprisingly. Yeah. But. I mean, look, I think the selling point for Guild Ball initially was like, hey, do you like playing War Machine, but now it's gotten too big? Uh, you know, there's too many yeah. models you have to have. Well, how about if you just had six models, but we still put a lot of emphasis on... Uh, Combo setup, yeah. <clears throat> competitive balance, all yeah. of that kind of thing. Which is why when you see people playing Guild Ball, you, you, know, you walk up to the table and you watch for five minutes while someone pre-measures what their options are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually, I think Guild Ball uniquely dealt with that uh, running out of time yes. situation. I think they dealt with that very well because we've had a conversation before about pre-measuring, yeah. in, largely in relation to Bushido, where it does become a time problem. It can be, yes. Yes, whereas Guild Ball, uh, I don't think they really suffered that because of the way it was designed. No. Um, but no, they didn't, because you can you can lose your own game by spending a lot of time doing that. Yeah, if you run out of time, then you, you, you start avoiding every... So basically, you give a you play until someone has scored 10 or 12? Yeah. Or something like that. It's a long time since I've played Guild Ball. Basically, every time, once you've run out of time, every time you take an activation, you give your opponent the point. Fine. So you will really quick just hand your yeah. opponent the game if you run out of time. Yeah. Um, I play quick, so I thought it was a great system. I've won games literally just by making my opponent run out of time. <laughs> See, I've, I've not played it enough. I've, I've got uh, I've got the blacksmiths uh, still in their two boxes, the plastics and mm. the two resin captains, maybe. And as we've talked before, we've done an episode about dead games. It's mm. worth going back and listening to that. I think. Um, because I don't think I don't think what we call dead games are dead until the community no longer plays them. I think they're orphaned, yes. and, and I actually really enjoy the static meta. I, I like, as someone who plays games, uh, plays a lot of games because I'm just interested in different ways that we solve similar problems. Mm. Uh, being able to come back to a game once or twice a year and just <laughs> know that we can just play it and it, it, nothing's changed. There's not been an FAQ or an Aurorata I mean, or... technically we could do that <clears throat> with any game. We can just go like, well, this is the state we want to play the game in. Yes, let's but, play but 40k, but uh, no six, releases six, that came yeah. out since 4th. You could do that. Um, it's a totally valid way of doing it. Uh, my brain kind of doesn't work that way. Well, this is why I, I found it kind of ridiculous when, when they killed Warhammer 40. They're not like... Fantasy, battle. fantasy battle. Everyone's like, oh, God, well, I can't play it anymore. It's like, well, you can. You've still got books. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's not properly balanced because of the yeah. Wait, it's wait, never ha, been. Ha, ha, have so, you played a Games Workshop game? Yeah. You, that is never going to happen. It's just not. Mm. That is not the priority in their game design. Not to say that they don't want them to be, but it's not where their priority is. Yeah. So, I mean, shock horror, a bit of a digression, but I think some of the things that stood out to me, or one of the things that stood out to me about the statement, was. Well, one that I think one of the one of the designers uh, said this was always going to be a limited lifespan game. Yes, which is all well and good, and you should tell people. You then. probably should tell people when they get into it, like, "Hey, this is what we're going to do." We expect and it'll we... run for this period of time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's already run for what seven years, something like that. Um, so they, so so not that limited. Yeah, so you could say, look, we we have a plan for this game to run for ten years. Like they've literally done that, like on the PC with Destiny Two, yeah, or on video games with Destiny Two. They're like, this is we have a ten year plan for this. Yeah, 
and we don't know what will happen after that. And that's fine, like especially in the video games industry where shit changes quicker yeah. than the tabletop industry. Yes. But we've seen a lot of quite significant changes and innovations over the last few years in the tabletop industry. Yes. So it's reasonable to expect something might have a limited lifespan, or at least to understand when people communicate that. Yes. But to just sort of turn around, let's give, let's say two months before they they, you know, take it out back and shoot <laughs> it in the head, that um, that they're going to do that and that it was always going to be that way, um, seems disingenuous, and it also doesn't line up with the fact that they've still got three or four minor guilds to release. Yes, um, which apparently <clears throat> wasn't that because of like twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, there was still significant development, I believe, to do on all of it. Yeah. And I, look, they can say, oh, you know, COVID has been a problem. And I get that. But honestly, for like developing games rules, with the existence of things like Tabletop Simulator and Vassal, mm. you can you can play test remotely for a game you're designing if your team is already very familiar with one another. Like, I don't see that really being a bottleneck. Yeah. The sculptors don't... They're not centralized with with Steamforged. Yeah, no, they, it's they it's not like about. it's not like the studio. <clears throat> so, again, like you've already got remote working going on. It's going to apply to like Chinese factories supplying the yes. uh, the plastic, and I understand they've had a lot of supply issues. There's anyway. been a, there's been a bunch of supply issues. The community has been unhappy about the state of can you even get anything? Yeah. Uh, so that that stuff seemed a little. Um, a little disingenuous, but I do understand that like a game might have a fixed, uh, fixed lifespan. And I've thought about this a lot lately, especially with, as Bushido's gotten bigger. You think about the number of uh, SKUs or SKUs, yes. basically like number of lines in your uh, how many dis- How list. many distinct items do do a shop need to be able to buy from you? Yeah. Past a certain point, it becomes really problematic because a- most shops are just going to go like, uh, you don't make us enough money for us to deal with this. Yeah, I've only got so much shelf space. Now, in America, less of a problem because they get uh, larger square footage in their stores. Whereas in the UK, independent gaming stores... Are tiny. Like, yeah. By and large. Yes, because the margins aren't great unless it's Magic the Gathering or some other collectible but card game. Turns out Magic uh, is great for game stores because it makes you tons of money and requires, oh, I don't know, a foot or two. Yeah. <laughs> yes, whereas... And then some play space. Very different on, in miniatures games. And you you definitely see like when a miniatures game first shows up, or at least maybe let's say five to ten years ago, you're getting individual miniatures, maybe a starter set, but you mm. get individual miniatures and blisters, and you see that with Bushido, and they they keep going, they keep releasing more miniatures, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well we've got we've got like two hundred products here, maybe we need to start releasing box sets, mm. and you see that with Guild Ball as well. Yeah. Um, where they they obviously moved over to the plastic because yes. they they had that pipeline in place uh, from uh, presumably from doing their board game stuff. I, th- uh, I think <clears throat> Dark Souls was the first one. I think so. Yeah. Uh, so once they've got those relationships in place, great. Um, yeah, where, you... where where he then took out the whole you can buy in, because you used to there used to be a starter set of four. I think maybe I I can't or whatever. Yeah. And then everyone else was individual blisters. Yeah. The way the, where the game was in at the end was that there was effectively two boxes by your A team, by your B team. Yeah, that's because that was that, ranking. No, but... that was two captains basically, and each captain came with a full team. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, and, then, and was... then there was more stuff after that. Yeah, but... and and obviously, 
those boxes were larger probably than the six blisters that they could have been. I, yes. I don't know, but they have such presence on a on a shelf. You look cool. Yeah. Um, so you can see games starting to consolidate their SKUs there, so they have fewer products to put on shelves as their range mm. grows. And I mean, how many guilds do they end up with? Twelve. So it's twelve major guilds and then some minors. I think so. Something, I mean, we, something we don't, like that. I'm not, yeah, not going to look it up. It's something like that. Yeah, and I, I think like the blacksmiths that I've got, I've got the two box sets and then two blisters. So that's that's already fourteen models. Yes. <clears throat> and all the other factions, I'm sure, have more than that. And blacksmiths may, may well do at this point. I know. So, every, I know everyone has three captains now. Yeah. But what they did, interestingly enough, with this in mind actually was later some of the boxes came out with the model for each guild. Oh, okay. Hmm. I don't like that because then you're forced to have models that you. Anyway, that that's a different discussion, maybe. But, yes. Um, so there's this and cross cross guild models and things like that. But yeah. so there, there's there was definitely some design going on with the idea that we can't put out as many products. Like individual products. Yes, we, we've already maximised our shelf space, probably, yeah. is, is, the, is the thing, or the, the shelf space of our distributors and stockists. Um, so, yeah, you have this increasing burden of product lines. Uh, and just design and space. Yeah, and so as, as your product lines increase, your design space decreases, and then you start maybe feeling the pressures of the original framework you created. And I think that's the case for Guild Ball because the Guild Ball no point values. Yeah, Guild Ball's quite a restricted design space already. Yes, because they are, like you say, there's no points value. Everyone is a point if you want. Yes, to abstract it like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a captain point, there's a mascot point, and then there's four squaddy points. Yes, and that's wonderful for like you first come in and you're like, I don't have to juggle points yeah. at all. Let's go. This is my captain. This is my mascot, <coughs> and I take four of these six guys. Yeah, great. I'm good to go. And of course, like one of our favourite games, Arena Rex, is, uh, is the same in that. Yeah. In fact, it's even less restricted. There's no captains. No, that, that's just how many how many guys are you playing? Yeah. And the teams are not even completely fixed either. No, you don't have to have a cohort. No. Um, or a themed cohort. So, yeah, I think that, that restricts the design space because then you can't, you can't for instance... I suppose you could contort that design space into go, okay, well, these two players counters one card they're twins whatever you know and and they play differently yeah but how many times can you do that well precisely once probably yeah uh so having no points values is really restrictive even though i like the elegance of it yes it it like it's a it's a great perfectly fine things to do but it does impose some restrictions on your overall game yeah and you have to be aware of that yeah absolutely uh, there's also then okay so if, if you want to this is a digression but shocker so if you want to go okay so we, we don't have points value what's the next level of complexity uh, it's probably saying okay well you have to have a captain you have to have a, a mascot yeah uh, or it's not, in, a co- it's not a complete free fall there are some distinct yeah. categories you have to bring but that's it yes then uh, one workaround is go okay we, we are having points but any leftover points you get to buy soul stones. Like, so yeah. this is Malifaux. And yeah. I like that. As, it's an elegant system. So yes. There's actually an incentive to come in under cost. Yes, you might you might deliberately bring fewer models than you could <clears throat> because you get something else. Bushido does the same with upgrade cards. Yes. Uh, and then I think 
well, perhaps, perhaps I skipped a tier, which is the, the Wrath of Kings model, where you basically have tier 1 and tier 2 models. Yes. So if you want to take a tier 2 model, it and costs can't. the same as two tier 1 models. Yeah. So everything is one point or two points. Yes. Then they also layer on, well, you've got specialists. Yeah, then there's some, some distinct... It's sort of like the Force Organization chart in 40k. Hmm. Yes. You have six troop points. You can spend them on... <clears throat> Uh, every choice is either one or two points. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like that. I mean, I, I, I think there's, I think you probably get enough design space for most things out of three tiers. So, yeah, because you've got one, two, and three, and then yeah, that you've, you've got your grunts, which are going to be swarming. You've got your your, your hard like mainline troops, and yeah. then you can have your elites. So I think three tiers, by and large, in wargaming works really well. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things I really liked about uh, Saga. Does sort of the same. Yeah, kind of thing. Saga does the same sort of thing. Uh, Flame, the old Flames of War, like fourth edition or whatever it was, oh, or third. I can't remember the, the edition I used to play. Which, yeah. uh whatever the it's... one before the current one. Uh, that well, there was a lot of like essentially three tiers of morale, or yeah. three tiers of training. Yeah, and I like that because mostly you don't need that much more detail. Yeah, it's, it's granular enough to yeah. give you flavour and feel, but it doesn't need more, yeah. necessarily. And of course, then ultimately you end up with the like the Games Workshop model, which is, you frustratingly, you play 2,000 points and then you spend ages figuring out where, how am I spending this five points? Or, oh no, I'm five points under. Uh, which yes. I, I like their power level system because like who cares if you've got a flame or a plasma gun or a melting gun just I don't care. It also implies uh, a greater precision <clears throat> in game design than I think they actually have. It, yeah, absolutely. But it also allows them to adjust because their design space is fairly constrained. Really, it looks massive, but it isn't. Yeah, but they are, they are able to uh, tweak things by a couple of points here and there, and it might feel good which is what they've done with the new edition which we're not really going to talk about no um but as far as i understand it you put out an faq that basically changed the points of everything yes so uh, you can continue to use the same codexes and so on some items or stratagems or whatever have been removed yeah but largely it's uh largely they've made everything more expensive stat lines have changed as well so regular old space marines have gone up to two wounds which matches primaris which is interesting. Weird. Yeah, Primaris gain a, a, an attack. Okay. I mean, I'm not... And, a, and better weapons. I'm not I'm not opposed. I think it's a, a really interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't played 40k in ages, so I don't actually know what, what it's gonna, going to do. I'm vaguely interested in trying out the new edition, but mm. that will almost certainly not happen until any of the new books I would be interested in is out, because I can't be bothered dealing with that. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's basically where it's like, yeah. I want minimal fuss and going to find an old book that has been FAQ to sort of work with the new edition is way more hassle than I'm willing to put <laughs> up with for what will almost certainly only be a couple of games. Yeah. I mean, for a game where you already need to carry around at least two rather heavy books to then have to have run to printed out pages or you're going to go through with a, a Sharpie or something. It's not happening. Anyway. Um, or you pay for the app, which I'm also not going to do. No. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole other discussion, isn't it? Yes. Moving on from the app, because so, that's yeah, not happening So, yeah, I mean, though, back to Guildhall. Um, so this essential skew bloat and your shrinking design space. Now, skew bloat, we try and 
addressed through consolidating products yes. into box sets. And the so other on. way, of course, you can do that is just by discontinuing stuff. Yeah, you don't have to course, discontinue the game. You can just remove entire strata of models. Sorry, we no longer make these. Yeah, and I mean, Guild Ball is ideally, sorry, was ideally placed to do that with its season system. Yeah. Uh, Turns out people get angry. Yeah, but you can always play with the old ones. It just means that mm. I think they evolved into that system. And if they designed it from, from the ground up, it would be fine. The thing is, it's a lot easier with Magic the Gathering, for instance, to say, oh, we're, these these cards are being cycled out. So you can still play whatever it is, extended. Or There's a bunch of, yeah. But, uh, but when you've invested in a miniature, one, it's a bigger thing to hold, even if its second-hand value might be the same as a magic card sometimes. Or less. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a physical thing you hold, so it feels more substantial. And then if you've actually put the hobby time in to paint yeah. it, then it feels r- pretty bad when someone says, you can't use that in the game anymore. Uh, so I understand that. But, I mean, there is some scope for cycling out... Uh, Stat lines, cards, yeah. and replacing them with new cards, but then you're not reducing your skews. No, and you um, might actually be increasing them, just, or, just slower. Yeah, you can say we're discontinuing the model, but you still can use it. That's another way to go. Yeah, you can go, we're not going to sell this anymore. Uh, there are rules on the website, so if you have it or get it, you can still use it, but be aware no more development is going into this thing. The trouble is you'll then get more... F- bad feeling because if it ends up comboing really well with new stuff yeah, if it, people are like well we can't play it's a bit like Bushido suffers with um, models which are show exclusives yes. which can feel a bit bad if you haven't got the opportunity to pick it up or Eldest Brother and Hirito yeah. who were limited edition for pre-orders on the new edition yeah. and now you can't get them Yes, except for some stock they've sold through every now and then at shows um, oh, I, I didn't get Eldest Brothers and I quite like him yeah, I love Hirato because he's fearless. But anyway, um, so you try and address it through that. And then the shrinking design space, that that you address by a new edition normally. Yes. Uh, and of course, Guild Ball don't, haven't been doing editions, they've been doing seasons, which has had some remodeling of the, the peripheral stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> but mostly the core has been solid, I think. Yeah, so you introduce uh, your... Oh, I can't remember what they were, like motivation cards or whatever they were. Oh, God, I have no all idea. All that sort of it's stuff. It's so long since I've played <clears throat> But you're layering extra mechanics on, or then you're stripping them away and yeah. replacing them with something else. You're perhaps not re-evaluating the, the core rule set. And I don't think they you necessarily... have done revisions of models and stuff. I'm sure, yes. yeah. I mean, look, all of this discussion comes with the caveat that neither of us really play Guild Ball. We know plenty of people who do... And I'd really like to talk to them and see how they feel going forward. Mm. Because the, one of the things I, I think we've mentioned before is that like, we like solving puzzles with these games yes. that we play. That's what we're doing. We yeah. solve a puzzle. We go. You might have an idea. I want to come at the puzzle from this angle. I want yeah. to go snakes. I, I want, my, I I want my solution to be this. How do I make that solution actually work? Yeah. That's largely what I do when I build list, honestly. And when a new release comes out, it's changing the puzzle. Yes. Uh, for everyone, normally, because you go, well, what if I'm going to come up against that? I don't collect that faction, yeah. but what if I come up against that model? So it, it, it changes the puzzle for the, for the consumer. And a new edition reshuffles the puzzle. It reshuffles it. It changes the parameters. Um, and it also freshens up that design space. So mm-hmm. maybe there is some argument that Guild Ball needs to do that. But I wonder if it's sort of 
it's a pretty polished rule set already, so you are literally doing it in order to reset the puzzle. Yes. But then are you are you going to be like, well, we want to sort of stay within the same mechanics, so we're going to artificially push ourselves away from them in a different way? Like, the, the system is lean enough that it's hard yeah. to like you can change some peripheral stuff I, I don't know what you do with the different like uh, if you're talking like really different edition rather than just mm. we've revised a bunch of models yeah because I mean you look at the way GW do it like largely a new edition is, is uh, we'd like you to his- buy all our stuff <clears throat> once more historically it's been shareholder driven mm. a new edition drives sales so you can turn around and go look at our growth yeah it's been over the course of four years steady because we've got this big injection halfway through it with a new edition yeah um, the same reason why they probably stick with the Codex releases because these big cash injections every now and then are more exciting than drip, drip, drip. Yes. So Games Workshop is, stands out as largely running a fairly different model in terms of releases and releases and rules and stuff yeah. like that than almost anyone else. Well, they, they run a model that no one else can really invest in or capitalise on, I think. That's yes. probably the answer to that. Yes. Um, oh, I've lost where we were. <laughs> Uh, it's no great surprise. I mean, I, talk about the design space, new additions, and things like yeah. that. Um, I mean, Guildball's not going to change its dice mechanic or anything like that. It wouldn't but, be Guildball anymore. Yeah, I mean, I could see them maybe moving to a point system if they do come back to the game, where still keeping it simple, like the tier three or tier yes. two idea. I don't know. The the problem you have with that in Guildball is that activation advantage. Is incredibly huge in that. Yeah. But then they have influence as a stat. Yes. So it, that yeah. would, it would require, it would not matter as much. Uh, it would require some fairly fundamental changes, I think, to hmm. allow for varied sized teams to feel balanced. Yeah. But you could do it if you wanted to invest the development resources. I, I don't think you can do it in the same way as Bushido would be like, oh, I'm running four ninjas or I'm running five models in, in my Oni list or something. And I'm running nine Jung. Yeah, no, that will not work. Oh, well, nine is conservative. Like, you, can, you can push Bushido further. Like, you can get to like, 11, was it 11 or 12 we figured out you can get into a list? And that's it, without recruiting mid-game. I think it's at least 12. Yeah. So I think I can do... That, that I disparity. Can do, I can do more than 10 in Jung, and yeah. you're not the hordiest faction that no. you can play. I think that disparity couldn't work in Guild Ball. No. Uh, simply because you're still meant to be playing with the ball. And I think, to a certain extent, I think they said a little bit on the, uh, on the statement. blog post, the yeah. statement, is that like it had moved away from being... It wasn't as football-y as they wanted. Yeah. Which... Okay, I understand, but you did start out by giving people great big axes and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's already farcical that they're going to well, survive any the of problem, this. The problem <clears throat> using the football is that you then give it to your opponent. Yeah. So, that, there's a whole bunch of... like That's a whole separate discussion about what is a successful tournament strategy, mm. which is quite different from what's a successful single game strategy. Yeah. I, I, look, I think I think Gilball having the football part of it made it unique in the industry. Yes. Now, people who are, I'm going to be rude and argue they don't really know what they're talking about say, "Oh, you know, which is which is the better sports miniatures game, Blood Bowl or Guild Ball?" I, it's just not a comparison. No, you're not. You're fundamentally not even the same no, game. They work really differently. Like, yes, you, ball possession matters in both. Do, do you look like the, the same type of game? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but 
I mean, Blood Brothers is a board game. It, yes, it is. Um, Which is not a disparaging comment. No, not um, at all. We may come back to that, but... We will come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know if we're at the point where we summarise yeah. on this. The, like, the interesting thing to me about this is God tier. Right, okay. So what's... Okay, I've got a bigger topic as well, but like, what is the implication for Guild Ball's other products going forward? And... And this is the other part of the discussion. Is like, what are its products going to be going forward? Yeah. Now, it's quite clear that they've gone down the cool mini or not route. Yes. They've gone, okay, we'll do Kickstarters for... You're getting lots of really cool uh, video game properties to do board games for. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, which is terrible, but... Uh, one, of, one of the founders, yes. Uh, he came from... Is it Ninja... Is it Team Ninja? I can't remember. The video games company yeah, he, that he, made DMC, Heavenly uh, yeah, he, Sword, yeah, all he, of these games. Yeah, I think so. Um, so obviously he has contacts in the industry, knows how to do that stuff. And that's allowed them to get things like Dark Souls and Horizon Resident Zero Dawn. Evil, Horizon Zero Dawn. They've got these licenses. They're producing these big box sets with lots of uh, PVC miniatures uh, for large sums of Kickstarter money. I spend several hundred quid on buying quite a lot of miniatures for Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. And you don't care about the game. You just want those miniatures. No, interesting enough. So I've, I've ostensibly bought a board game. Yeah. I have bothered to read literally none of the updates about how the game plays because we just wanted the miniatures. Hmm. I might play the game. We'll see. I'll yeah. probably try it. You'll, well, you'll, obviously you'll play it once at least. Yes. <laughs> You've got to see how it is. Um, but honestly, if you just offered an option for, would you like one... Would you like all of these miniatures, one each of all of the big stuff and a couple of the smaller stuff? I would just have gone for that and completely ignored the yeah, game. Yeah, just give me the PVC. Let's go. Yeah. Like, that's literally what we bought it for. Yeah. Which is interesting. And, I mean... It, it, so you were saying that you you, uh, you did a bit of research on this, which is shocking. And like the, yeah. Research in this yeah, podcast? Um, and you were saying that they took private investment. Uh, right, that's, that's a private equity company that bought in for, was it three or five million, something like that, last year? Yeah. And was it in in Livingston? Was it? Yes, I think so. It became a non-exec director. Yeah. So uh, obviously, and, and the private equity fund got one or two board seats as well, in right. addition to that. So, I mean, that must... I don't know if anyone was like, ooh, foreshadowing at the time, because mm. I learned about this a couple of days ago. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> um, but it that obviously changes the way a company moves. I mean, they're posting big money from Kickstarter, which is an... Like, it's the cool meaning not, not model. Yeah. We can do lots of big Kickstarters quite quickly, ship them out eventually... Uh, versus Guild Ball, which is now a quite mature game. Upkeep is hard on that as well. Upkeep is hard. It's not going to post big numbers. It's just not. Yeah. I think maybe one of the things is that they... It's got a it's got a market with competitive tabletop gamers, mm -hmm. but that saturates. And I think it, it has saturated. That's, yeah. it, it's got the players it's going to get. Because yeah. unless they fundamentally change it, how is it going to do any big recruiting? It'll yeah. do maintenance recruiting. Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll have some people join, <clears throat> some people leave, but you're not going to see a massive spike of going, oh, we've added 20% to our player base and people are buying lots of new teams. Yeah. No. I think, I mean, again, go back and compare against uh, Bushido, where Bushido is in its, let's call it a life cycle. It's, it's seen massive growth uh, with the release of the yes. new edition. 
which is fascinating for me and, and wonderful. I, I love that more people are playing my favourite game. Um, and I, the edition didn't have fundamental changes to the way the game works. Really, no. it just tightened things yes. up. But it served as a advertising platform. Yes, and uh, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a point. It's a convenient which... onboarding point. Yeah, Go like, oh. Are you interested? There's a new edition out. Everything is fresh. And it's first two-player starter set as well. Yes. Turns out that helps. And it looks really pretty now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, where were we? (laughs) State state of the industry. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) what's the implication for the industry, like, wider than Guild Ball? Like, SKU Blow blow is, is a real thing. Uh, it's a real thing for even like if you think about like bad Squiddo games, she's not doing games, but she's doing a lot of miniatures. Um, uh, you know, at what point does that become unmanageable for her? Like she'll, yeah. she'll need to hire people on, and that becomes like you get yeah. you, you, growth is hard, and we yeah. see that everywhere. I look at it myself as Mastercraft of miniatures. I'm at the point right now where I I kind of need to take someone on yeah. in order to help me out. But then there's that gap of like, well, now I'm training you up and yeah, not doing and, the thing I need to you, do. You, you add a significant <clears throat> expense, which might not be offset by a significant increase in income for yeah. a while at least. Yeah. And you can't be sure it'll actually ever happen. Yeah. And of course, Steamforged went pretty quickly into a corporate structure. Yeah. Uh, I think that was probably always the intention. I mean, it, it was made by... Do you have a somewhat slightly different background than a lot of... I think uh, game uh, companies in the industry in, in the industry where the, the had very like they always had like a corporate idea because they, they came from with some experience yeah, of so, this already. So, like so, everything in our industry, it was born out of passion. But they came, or at least uh, the driving force came from a guy who was in an industry which which is adjacent. But but also his big money yes and corporate structures yeah. so he had an in, uh, an inherent understanding of, of that and experience well I can set to, it up like this and this yeah. will do all of these things for me yeah so yeah I mean so uh, and, got, and and he got the growth to support that kind of thing hmm. because obviously if they'd release Guild Ball and it was this super minor game that some people played well then none of that actually happens because you don't have the people and you don't have the money yeah, to and do they, that. they kept the pressure up with releases and yeah. things like that so i mean did, missteps here and there of course yeah, sure. but, but i mean what was interesting with them is that they uh they brought people on to do 3d printing in-house and they bought a very expensive 3d printer like uh, uh bushido used to do all uh, their prints through them yeah oh, interesting um, but i is that I, partially also why they have stuff like hero forge yes but what was interesting is uh, I saw before the announcement of the um, the, the Guild Ball end. Yeah. <clears throat> well, what was interesting actually? So a couple of days before, the, maybe a week or so before mm. the Guild Ball uh, was terminated or announced, uh, I saw that one of their designers was creating his own uh, podcast yeah. about game design, and also like. And maybe another week before that, I saw that someone in their uh, 3D printing department with whom I've worked yeah. a reasonable amount was also made redundant. Huh. And so the in hindsight, there were these little warning signs yeah. popping up. And if, if I'd known about the private equity yeah. investment, 
then you start thinking, okay, no, the, the things are changing here. Yes. It's morphing into something else. Um, but what does this mean for the state of the industry? Like, where do we I'm where do not we go? Actually, sure, it means that much. Well, because okay. I don't think there's many other companies in the same category slash weight class. Yeah, because Steamforge is quite for the industry quite a big company. Yes, I. I mean, you, you start thinking about your tiers of companies. You've got GW right at the top. Which, honestly, there's not even a comparison. With. No. And then under them, you're talking about Privateer Press, Weird. Um, I don't think there's really anyone else. We're not going to be talking about... We, we can't uh, talk about uh, Asmodee or uh, anyone there's like somewhat, that, really. There's somewhat different. Yeah, Fancy Fly and so on. Like, that's all a bit different. Um, and then I guess you, you get into the Guild Ball area. I don't know if... Or Steamforge, rather. Uh, even Infinity, uh, Corvus Belli, is, is going to be under that, yes. below that. Battlefront? Um, yeah, they're probably around... I'd probably put them around Privateer Press and stuff. This is based on no knowledge. And yeah, this is just like us randomly get... Like, uh, Games Workshop is the only publicly traded company so in, uh, okay. in, in the space, I believe. Yeah. So anything else is literally just looking at them and squinting and going like, like this? Yeah. Warlord? No idea. But Warlord are not going to be up there with, with Steamforge, I would have thought. Although they do do a lot of products. So it, it's really hard to, to look at this. But then you go and look at something of the size of, of Bushido. That's a lot um, of those. Yeah. That's and a lot of small... You have a, a, a very broad underbrush, yeah. I think. And then you have some bushes and a couple of trees. And then you have a mountain. So your thought is, like, well, the problems that Guild Ball has experienced, they would be experienced by smaller companies... But perhaps can be mitigated easier. Yes, <clears throat> and I don't think many other companies will be able to do that thing you're doing. Oh, I mean, just going is dead. Yeah, or going like, well, we're going to pivot and be cool mini or not as well. Or yeah. I mean, how many how many companies in the war games industry is going to get five million pounds in private equity? Yeah, none. Mm. Like yeah. this to me seems like an investment in. We think you can make a lot of money off your video game licensing business. Yeah. And I, I have no doubt that they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, so it's interesting, but I'm not actually sure it speaks to the wider industry. I think the two of those issues, the, the, the skew bloat and the shrinking design space, are both problems that everything will, will, will come up against. Yes. You get companies the size of GW, uh, they just go, hey, new edition anyway. Um, and they've got like how on earth a game designer keeps up with all the the stuff that they've got going on in their games. There's just too many. Like I can't even that, imagine shepherding that. Yeah, but that's also why their design team is quite large. Yes, of course. So you the answer to that is you're not the design. Like you might be like, well, you're dealing with these things over here, and then we have a, a whole team over here dealing with something entirely different. You don't need to know about that. And of course, you look at GW and they'll go, look, we want to do cool miniatures and then we'll make them go into the game. Yeah. Whereas Guild Ball are like, okay, we, we might have an idea for a cool miniature, but what do we need to do within the design space of this, this faction? Yeah. Um, so I think they're coming at it from different points yes. of view. <clears throat> um, you've, got, you've got that pressure to just feel like it's a living game. You know, we need to get these new releases out because yeah. otherwise people go, oh, it's a dead game. I'm not going to play it anymore. Yeah. Um, 
So that those pressures are all there for for anyone who's producing a and game. And when you're maintaining a game, new releases for things is also a convenient way of making your existing player base look at the things you're already doing in a new light and go like, oh, actually, that looks really cool. Maybe I will play that thing. Yeah, it's changing the puzzle again. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it does. I do worry a little bit about. Like games have to have lifespans yeah. for, for a majority of the industry. And I I don't know if that is a hard limit or not um, for different You games. might be seeing some of it with Privateer Press and War Machine and the new Warcaster stuff and things. I can't even imagine getting into War Machine now. It was it was daunting when I did and there were not even a quarter of the minutes was out for it. Right. <clears throat> so it's a completely... They've, they've gone for quite some different solutions, I think, and I don't know if it's working or not because I've stopped playing that as well. Uh, so I'd have to. Th- this would be something I'd actually have to look into before I can say anything about it. Um, so let's leave that off. Yeah. I, I do think the lifespan thing though is interesting. If you came into, uh, you, you brought out a product, and I think maybe you know this discussion on how easy it is to bring out a new game these days it's as opposed to five years ago or ten years ago. Um, is a different discussion, but if you came out and go, okay, look, this is our plan for the game, and it will end. Yeah. But this this is the journey, and we we were up front with you from the start. I th- does that work? Can I it- think you might just kill your game immediately, because I'm not sure people want to buy into something that's limited in this sense. It's interesting to me because, in a way, I would probably be more interested because then i'm like okay i'm going to go through this journey yeah maybe i'm going to have this more intense period of keeping up to date with the meta Mm. seeing how it changes and then you get to the point where they go okay the game we've polished it up maybe we release a pdf or or even a print version Mm. if there's enough demand of the final version of the rules yeah we have polished this to this point we're okay with it yeah We've not made any changes for a year. We've addressed the, the problems that came up a year ago. Yeah. Now, We're, for perpetuity, this is it. Yeah. And then, how would that be any different than at that point you just bought a board game? Well, it wouldn't be, aside from investment, I think. Not, not, not monetarily, necessarily, but... Emotionally. Emotionally investment <clears throat> from people who have bought into a thing and now the thing is turned into a different thing. It is an interesting uh, subject because you, you think brand loyalty in our capitalist society is a powerful thing. A really powerful thing. Mm. When, when you have people arguing over whether the next PlayStation or Xbox is going to be better or not, when you're like, guys, you're, I mean, stop I, tying your identity to a brand. I, 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 have, I have an easy answer to that. Well, no, the easy answer to that is that the Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is going to be on the PlayStation. Yeah, so and that's, I want to that's play the that. thing which drives your motivation. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, so having that loyalty of, of people being like, oh, no, I, I keep up with this because it's, it's part of me um, yeah. is a driver, you know, and I hate myself for bringing phrases like this, but it is a driver of sales. Like it, yeah. Uh, and as a business, that's generally what you want to do. You want to stay trading. Yeah. You may not... You may not be interested in being a millionaire. I mean, if you are, it's the wrong, wrong industry. Uh, yeah, it, <clears> the <throat> industry is not well known for generating lots of those. No. You should make mobile games. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> make, make the next 
fortnight. That's uh, essentially that, the answer there. But... That'll do it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you have you have a going back to Games Workshop. Yeah. Because this neatly leads into the other thing we're yeah. going to do with this. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about another topic. I'm just going to check how long we've been talking for. Oh, a long time. That's 45 minutes. That's actually about what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> so we have, obviously not with their main games, but with all of their peripheral games, we're going to talk about the other sports ball game. We're going to talk a little bit, at least, about Blood Bowl, because there's a new edition. I yeah, understand. so... Like a brief history of Blood Bowl would be uh, GW brought out several editions uh, yeah. over the course of, of, of some years when they were really invested in their uh, specialist games catalogue. Well, this actually did Blood Bowl predates predates the specialist games, yes. specialist games by a decade or two. Mm. Yeah, and I think the the version of Blood Bowl that I really became familiar it's with was after it was edition. arguably a dead game. Because GW had left it alone. Oh, I started playing before then. I played a couple of games back then, but the the, the version. This is the version with Blood Bowl and Dead Zone, because that's the yeah, fun sure. foundation of the modern game. That's the only version I've played. Right. So what I mean, I I got that would, that would, uh, but when I played, there were still articles being published, and especially in Fanatic and things like that, there would be new stuff. And Games Workshop would bring out like the Norse team, for instance, yeah. it wasn't in the game when I started playing. <laughs> So, yeah, they GW had it going for a while and then they just sort of left it alone and you had what essentially amounted to like a, a committee of players but also a couple of the original designers. Yes. Uh, would then... Shepherd the rule set, yeah, effectively. Yeah, and you, that was the Living Rulebook era. Yes. So I think I probably got in on Living Rulebook 4 was when I started getting yeah. really back into Blood Bowl um, as an adult and yeah. so on. And then that went through LRB6. Yes, which stayed the same <clears throat> for a long time, didn't it? Yeah, and it's very interesting because the period over which that was happening was the Kirby period. Yes. So GW were actually pretty litigious during that time, very throwing their weight around. They're like, no, it's not It's not a, uh, a hobby of which we are a part. It is the GW hobby. Yes. And obviously that created a lot of bad feeling, which they're yeah. still fighting now. Um, but it's interesting that this was allowed to sort of... Flourish on its own? That's the thing. I, I, it did it, flourish. It did. And people could call it a dead game for all the other uh, definitions that we see floated around, especially when talking about Guild Wars being yeah. now a dead game. But this was... In many sense, it was era. Yeah. Yes. The, the rule set was... I mean, the rule set was stable. That's possibly the, the where it fits the best. The rule set basically wasn't really changing. And it was tightening was, up. Yes. But there was lots of miniatures available... There's, there's a lot of third-party stuff for Blood Bowl. Yeah. So, after LRB6, and I don't think LRB6 had a long lifespan, because GW then grabbed the reins back from the community in, in not a particularly... Uh, Subtle way. Yeah. And they created the competition rules, which was basically LRB6, but without um, without the slant, without teams for which there were no GW miniatures. Yes. That was basically the way it went. More or less. Uh, and then, a few years later, they brought out Blood Bowl, the box set, which again was basically LRB6, uh, or basically the competition yes. rule set, but they made... Changed the scale. They changed a couple of... Uh, yeah, okay, so they made... The bases were no longer 25 mil, they were 32, so yeah. the whole board changed size, so the yeah. rulers didn't work. But most, I think most serious tournament players were counting squares rather than using the rulers anyway. Yes. Uh, but 
it uh, it made a couple of changes uh, to like a couple of skills. <sighs> a human catchers became ten k more expensive. I, I can't, think I can't I remember. remember. So really, really minor changes, which almost felt a little bit like they were just testing the water for like yeah. what the backlash might be. Yeah. Which now makes a lot of sense because now they've gone okay. So we are now in charge of this game again. It's got a healthy. Uh, scene mm-hmm. because it already had a healthy scene and yep. we came in and just yeah, we, we, took it back we, we didn't manage to kill <clears throat> the scene yet we'll give it another go so they're doing a new addition which is fundamental changes uh, to the perhaps not the core mechanics but to the way that uh, some things work they're introducing lots of new skills they're introducing entire new teams mm-hmm. there seems to be a Bretonians alike team which is like a, a human the human nobility team yes. or whatever. Uh, they they've done a snotling team recently. You get two snotling pump wagons and some other stuff. Like that's daft. Wonderful. Love it. I mean that uh, that that's fine for Blood Bowl. It yeah. always had the snot, uh, the um, stunty teams, yeah, which were amusing and was really good for your star player point count because they were hilariously easy to kick around and yeah. score lots of points against. Yeah. Uh, and then you you've got the uh, the black orc black team, orc team. Which has been announced. So they're starting to make some some big changes, and and we've seen some leaks, and of course, the profile with, have changed without seeing the entire uh, the entire game. It is difficult to be particularly damning about changes. Yes, but let's uh, just say we're going to voice some some concerns and also some optimism. Also, I'd like to interject before we get any further. <laughs> I've been playing Blood Bowl for more than 20 years. Mm. I don't actually want to have to learn a new game. I just want to be able to go like, oh, do you want to play a game of Blood Bowl? I haven't played for three years, but that's fine because nothing has changed. So again, it's back to like that dead or orphaned games situation. Yes. Like, well, actually, I can just come back to this and play it. And this is what... They are threatening that a certain amount. Yes, because someone in in the club <clears throat> went like, "Oh, Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl is a thing. Does anyone play?" And lots of people play. Yeah. And then it was like, "Oh, there's a new edition out." And then I immediately went like, oh, "Okay," and then I looked. It was like, "Oh, oh, I might have to learn new stuff for this game." Yeah, because I'm a grumpy old man when it comes to that. I'm happy some... to learn this new edition. I'll, I'm I'd be not interested. Buy to... it. No, it's probably no. I'm not. Thing. I'm not going to spend any money, and then I learn some more things, which make me slightly more concerned. Okay, so let's let's talk about let's talk about profile changes that yes. they're doing. And, and again, like we're not going to be the most incredibly informed source here. Um, if you're listening to us, you should be used to that. But this is you know this this is how chats about war games go. I mean. So they they've changed the way uh, they these profiles are written. Yes, but they're not actually changing the way the profile works. I don't think so. So of course, it could be hidden in there stuff we haven't seen. Yeah, I know. I think this this is almost a segue into a whole discussion on UX or user experience, where if we look at if we look at the way GW designed games, they, they when they designed Warhammer Fantasy Battle actually is a battle game, uh, not the original. They they went okay. Fourth edition. Everyone's going to have a number for the thing that that they are trying to do. And I think they did a really smart thing when they said, okay, weapon skill is a comparative stat. So I have weapon skill five. You have weapon skill four. I'm going to hit you. Let me look on this table on a three plus because I'm one higher than you. And that's a really nice system. Some people can look at the chart initially and go, but actually it's very easy to memorize and so on. Yes, because it's just an equation, a very simple one. So that's great. And then they went, okay, so all, all stats are just numbers. 
even when they're not comparative. So you look at ballistic skill, you go, well, why is my ballistic skill five and I need a two plus to hit? Yes. I'm looking at a little chart. It's a very small chart. It could be yeah, basically be, take the number seven and yes, subtract the value so, from it. Seven minus your ballistic skill with any modifiers that might apply. Why am I taking that extra step? Because yes, my to hit roll will be modified. But but, but the to hit roll could start with this is what you need. Yeah, it's not it's not a comparative statistic. It's not it's not if if you had ballistic skill and say evasion. Yeah. Absolutely fine. But because it's just like, well, if I'm rolling a 2+, plus, just write 2+. Plus. Yeah. And so they did that with Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So they went, okay, well, your, your fight value is a number, comparative stat, slash something plus, that's just the number you need to roll. Mm. Um, I can't remember if it gets modified at all, but that doesn't matter. If it gets modified, that's easy. You get yeah. plus one, minus one, whatever. Um, so that's great. Uh, so you've got some improvements in UX there. Wonderful, yeah. you know, might value you, you. You count that down, you yeah, take yeah. that off as, as you go through the game. And then they made a really weird decision with UX. And yes, this is an opportunity for me just to rant about something which has annoyed me for years. But War of the Ring, they went, okay, we're going to take Lord of the Rings. We'll take that stat line and move it into War of the Ring. Except the the dice mechanics were wholly different. So they go, okay, your fight value. I didn't know that. Okay, so my fight value is four. Your fight value is higher than mine. Yeah. So in a combat. Uh, you would be rolling eight dice for the models on your base, yep. and then it gets uh, you get like an extra die if you've got a higher fight value. Okay, that. so it's a comparative stat still. Yeah, so that's fine. Yeah, and then you roll your big bucket of dice because it's a bucket of dice game. I mean, yes, uh, but then the shooting, it still had the like three plus or yeah. four plus thing. Because they wanted to remain consistent with this other game at which this was a, an offshoot. Yes. Except you didn't need to... You rolled against someone's defence. So if their defence was oh. five or whatever, so, so you had to roll so, five. So the three <clears throat> or four plus thing no longer actually applied to the way the game worked. That wasn't what worked. you were trying to roll on the die. What it was instead was like, oh, you've got a two plus as your shoot value. That means you add... I can't remember off the top of my head. You add three dice to your pool. That's horrifying. So, for this idea of this clumsy idea of, of consistency, they absolutely screwed the UX. They'd approached Lord of the Rings from like, okay, we need this to be accessible, yeah, uh, because we want younger people to get into it because that's oh who's God, going to be that, watching that's, the movies. That's and so just on. a terrible decision. And then they go to War of the Ring. We're like, we're actively putting up barriers because of this weird consistency. We, we, we've decided to be consistent, so instead we're going to make it horribly difficult to actually see what's going on. Excellent. Well, all you need to do is go. Okay, well, why didn't you convert that back into the forty k or fantasy yeah. system of just a number? You can even put a plus before it to make it really extra helpful. You could put a minus on it because if your if yeah, your shoot they, value was six plus, it was minus two dice. Yeah, whatever. So. Really weird decisions mm. that I understand that, like you know, maybe people haven't like done training in UX and stuff like that in a war games industry. Yeah, I, I get that, but just you know, just a step back and look at it logically for a second. Yeah, it was that doesn't make any sense. Weird. Yes, which brings us into Blood Bowl twenty twenty, uh, presumably not twenty twenty one, where they're essentially going. Well, your agility is no longer five; your agility is two plus. Yes. Great. Which was how agility worked anyway. Yeah, because none of the stats in Blood Bowl were ever comparative. They were always yeah. uh, target. They would Strength always. Was. Which yes. haven't changed. Yes. Strength is still a number. 
Yeah. It's not a number plus. Yeah. Well, I just hope not, because that would be real weird. Um, well, if you're changing the game, but yeah. yeah. Okay, so strength. So uh, agility, passing, and armor all now looks like they are a number plus. So presumably, uh, strength, uh, agility, and passing is what you need, and armor is what your opponent needs, presumably. Have they split agility and passing out into separate yeah. stats? Yeah. Wow, okay, now that's a core that's a core redesign. It's yeah. not just a UX thing. I just quickly on the UX thing, it's very helpful just to be like, you just need to roll this number or more. Because one of the problems I always had when I came back to Blood Bowl, uh during my like my student years or whatever, it's like your armor's nine. Does that mean I need to roll a nine or I need to roll a ten? I can't remember. The addition of a plus after the number higher yes. uh, now means you go, Okay, I need a ten or more, that's great. Yes. Okay, so splitting agility and passing out yes. is interesting. It gives you more granularity. It changes the design space again. Yeah. Um, I mean, I... You can have good uh, throwers that aren't great ball runners. Yeah. Because that was always one of the things was that if you have a good thrower, like inherently based on stats, he might just pick up the ball and dodge his way to the end zone because it's probably safer. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like an elf thrower or whatever. Yes. But then you took a... You look... So the way that they kept this compact stat line uh, for so long is through the use of skills. Yeah. So if you have an Ag 3 thrower, they're going to come with pass. Yes. Probably, like the human one. Oh, no, wait, the human... Does he come with pass? Yes. God, I can't yes. remember. He the comes human, with sure the, hands, for sure. Sure hands and pass, yeah. same as the orc one. Oh, okay. Uh, and then you'll buy them accurate, maybe, or whatever. Strong arm, Strong if you can arm. get it. Yeah. So the way that it, they dealt with that uh, that constrained design space was just having all these skills. Mm. Uh, that hasn't changed. No. So does that... It's interesting. It's almost like I feel like going, well, is it kind of redundant? Because if you go your... Your ag three plus uh, four plus, yeah. but your passing three plus. Well, then you've just got pass. Yeah. If you have pass as well, so are the new human throwers going to have pass as well as being three plus four plus? Don't know. Or all, are they just all, going to be three plus three all, plus? All I've seen is the black hole. All I've seen is the black hole team sheet. Yeah. This is this is the thing. There's, there's, there's so many questions. Yes. It's almost as if it's a leak that's going to create discussion. Yes. I mean, there's more interesting stuff on that as well. You're changing more things. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that's the only one that they've broken out. It's the only one I've seen. I haven't looked very hard. Well, it's the only it's the only characteristic that they've broken into. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, I see what you mean, yes. I mean, I guess move, you know, you could break it out and go, oh, you, uh, you have your normal move and then you have your blitz move. Maybe you get more movement with your blitz. You already... No. Oh, God, no. But I, um, there might be a skill that does that. They yeah, choose one I can't remember. Um, it's I it's, guess like, it's the only stat that did two quite different things. I guess, yeah. Because strength was always just about punching people. Movement was always just you how fast can you yeah. cover space. Whereas agility was both dodging and picking up the ball and passing the ball and catching the ball. Yeah, it does a lot of things. Yes. So I would almost have, you know. If I were to have done it, I might have gone, okay, you've agility now got agility and ball. And, well, ball handling. Yeah. Handling. Because then you'll pick up and you'll throw. Because at some point you need to stop breaking out the stats. No, I think agility should turn into five different skills. That would yeah. be really helpful. Agility, pick up, 
throw and catch. Well, okay, pick up and catch, you could probably make the same thing. So that's handling. So then you have three. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. ridiculous. Like at some point you have to draw a line. Um, okay. Yeah, so I mean, that's the only one that, that merits being split up. And I can understand why. I just, it, it, it raises questions about skills. I mean, if you want to raise interesting <clears> things, <throat> the Black Oak team should have more interesting things. The Black Oak comes with two skills. Brawler, okay, which is who knows. No, oh, no, I think I've seen the definition of brawler, but I, I, ah. I can't remember it, and I'm not going to be able to remember it on the fly like this. And so. grab, no. So maybe a version, a, a different take on wrestling. Wrestle. It's, didn't that used to be in the game where you could basically? It's the opposite of sidestep. So sidestep is where you can pick. Whichever square around you, you go to when you get pushback. Yeah. Grab was, instead of, I think, I could be wrong. Turns out this is also a long time since I played yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the pushback was always the three squares behind the, yeah. just opened it up. But if you had sidestep, you could step forward. Yes. Based off it. But yeah. grab is the opposite of that, where the attacker chooses where you go rather than the defender. Oh, maybe. I think. Cool. Which is a huge positional thing. Yeah. Which is actually quite an exciting skill to have. Yeah. If... Especially on a, on a strong player like that. You're going to have six of them. Yeah. This is the thing. that This team seems a little lizard money, but obviously there are differences and if, like that. And if you've done a bunch, a whole bunch of new skills or just increased like general skill access, because obviously one of the things with Blood Bowl was that most players didn't really come with very many skills. And a lot of them were simple. You get a reroll on doing your core function skills. And I think that was, that was Which core I, to what uh, yeah. a lot of people like about the game is that it does... Like it's fundamentally do simple. On the tin. You, can, yeah. you can see what they're going to do. Uh, the more skills you get, the more, the more you get towards like a Bushido. And the more thing. messy the game is just going to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, do you realize the interaction between the three players over here that does a thing? And Blood Bowl already takes long enough. Mm-hmm. It's not as quick a game as you'd expect. Mm, it is if you play at a tournament level. Yeah, it's quite quick. You play a lot. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it also comes with team special rules. Yeah, now this is interesting. This is new team special rules. So I mean, I don't know what to do. I can see what they're called on the sure. blackboard. Uh, Badland, Badlands brawl and bribery and corruption. Hmm. No idea. Sure, and oh, that seems fine. Like, yeah. I, I I like the idea. It of sort giving of it sort of already theme. did that a little bit with some themes, except it was things like. Well, you had like there were some special rules connected to being the vampire team, except you were all offloaded on a whole bunch of skills that you then gave all the players. Yeah, so this is like giving skills to the team in yeah. a way. Things like Poten- oh, potentially can, you can't take an apothecary, for instance. Yes, whereas which so, is also a thing on here. There's apothecary. Yes, no. Yeah. So it seems like they're making some really good UX uh, changes the, the to me. R- most interesting thing to me is this one tier. Black Oaks are tier two. Yeah. So Blood Bowl, uh, for those who are not familiar, uh, has an acknowledged tier uh, was structure on, of teams. Unofficial, as in it wasn't codified in the rules, but everyone knew. And it was unintended. Yeah. But you, it, you go, okay, this it was, is a tier it, one it was, team. It was acknowledged that some teams were just better than other teams. And that was accepted as part of the game. That's the way it is. Like, this team is just better than this team. It was also... Not, with, with unmanageable... But it was. And mm. you had effectively the small teams, the stunty teams were kind of a tier of their own. Yeah. Now it's worth noting that there's, there's probably like three different ways to play Blood Bowl. So you can play one-off games. Yeah. 
you can play a campaign at your club, league. a league, yeah, or you can play uh, an event. Now yes. that that one can branch out into all sorts of different flavors. Events tend to be <clears throat> similar-ish, but quite different. You can get no advancement uh, tournaments, yes, but you can also get full advancement tournaments. You can get limited advancement tournaments. You know, set, set skill packages, all sorts of things. Yes, yeah. So we after each game you play, you can choose one person to. Uh, gain enough star player points to reach the next whatever it is yeah. roll on something whatever Free, frequently um, you just sometimes like, you get, can just give a skill yeah so frequently you just get skill packages and go like you have three normal skills and a double skill to hand out to your team yeah. that's what you have for this tournament or whatever so Blood Bowl is uh, you know trying to, to please everyone in these different uh, ways of playing so that's already a, quite a, a big ask but the tiers vary based on those Yes. So I think it's generally agreed that Chaos are really strong. Complete monster in league settings. In league. But early on in a league, or if you're just playing one-off games, they're very expensive for what you get. And not <coughs> very good at almost... Like, they're quite punchy. but not, punchy and they'll take a hit. But not extraordinary punchy. No. And they're not awful with the ball, but they're definitely in the lower half of ball handling ability. Yeah. Uh Whereas, I suppose, conversely, like Orcs are a really good way to start. Yeah. Like, if you're going to play one-offs, or, Orcs are pretty just solid. They've got some passing game, they've got some running, and they're armoured. Also, honestly, almost any of the elf teams. Yeah. Just because of their inherent... Well, you have agility four. Turns out you're really good at anything with the ball, just inherently. Yeah. Ball on your feet. Um, so, yeah, you, you look at the tiers. that They may not actually be consistent across those settings. So, I'm interested to know... You know what what they have chosen yes. the the tier to yes. actually refer to because tier might only get used in a league system. It might only yeah. get used in one off games if you're doing a tournament like it that. It might be a modifier to the way you earn star player points. Yeah, it might have something to do with inducements. I have re- 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 well, inducements re- could completely change. I certainly hope so. I actually like the inducements as they are, but hey, uh, it's a long discussion. Not. We will not do that now. There's bits of inducements I like. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the, the core idea of them, we'll just cover yes. it quickly. The core idea is you go, okay, well, my team is rated lower than yours, so I get some compensation. It you, starts at 50k as a minimum, basically. Like, yes, you can't buy you, anything for less than You that. effectively get a lump sum of money to spend 20. on... Uh, you can buy something for 10 Cheerleaders or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you effectively get a lump sum of money to spend on bonuses. They can even be... Uh, mercenary players you hire in just for one game yeah um, to make up for the fact that your team <clears throat> is underpowered so that's the only way you get access to star players is with investments yes. uh, which is a change from when I first started playing yes where you could just buy them hilariously um, the first game I played in Dead Zone there was a star player I played against the Chaos team uh, there was Lord Borak the star player yeah. Chaos Warrior yeah yeah I killed him <laughs> And I killed his Minotaur. Nice. Um, he was not happy. Oh, <laughs> oh, you lose a big guy early in the league. That's just crippling. I think he basically retired the team. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen Ratto die in the first game. I'm just like, yeah, it's fine, mate. We'll start again. But this was also back in the days where a double six on the injury roll was a dead. Bef- oh, yeah. Before you had the separate chart of, oh, yeah, I've taken an injury. What is the injury? Yeah. Because modifiers would then skew it so that you 
in late leagues would just have players die left, right and centre because it turned out that, oh, anything nine plus and you die. Which is funny, but maybe not enjoyable uh, when you put that much time into it. It's not enjoyable for very long, no. Oh, mighty blow on piling on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think from a UX point of view, these changes seem interesting. I, I yes. think they're mostly positive. And obviously they're chain- trying to open up the design space a little bit by splitting out those stats, uh, adding new skills in. Yeah. That's all great. That sounds Which, fine. So I have mixed feelings about the skills. A, uh, I think the skill system was quite good, but there definitely was a core group of skills which were very, very strong. Yes. And a whole range of skills which were super niche and you mostly only saw if a player came with them already. Mm-hmm. Are you really going to spend a skill pick on pass block? <laughs> And again, I think that's probably fine that you have skills which are in there to create a type of player for a team. And then you have skills which you want to buy. Yes. And obviously, you know, if you don't have block, you buy block. If you don't have dodge, you block. So I say buy, and this leads into something else, but yeah. you, you, you take dodge. If, yeah. If you've got a, a passer and they haven't got accurate or strong arm, depending should, on whether you get the double or not, or, you, you or take sure hands, you should get one yeah. of these. I mean, but, that's why Amazon's <clears> such a good team, was because. Everyone starts with dodge, and block is a general skill, so everyone can get it on their first level up. Yeah, and you can have an entire team of blodges, and everyone hates you. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting thing in that Blood Bowl is a solved puzzle to a large extent. Yes. Yeah, but it still had that really strong community for so long. Partly because it's quite a random game. So while it is solved, what you're doing is you can tip. The probabilities in your direction, but the game Nuffle ab- don't care. Absolutely, have the ability to just completely screw you over and go like. So your team is is amazing. Turns out today everyone's drunk. How do you win Blood Bowl? Don't roll dice. Yes, is the answer. Yes, yeah. So um, anyway, I, I just thought that was an interesting like aside. Yeah. So the the other stuff that we've seen uh, a little bit of leaks are uh, the, the the way advancements work changing. Yeah. Now we've only seen a very small screenshot, and again, I'm not part of the the Blood Bowl scene now, uh, oh. and also I'm not part of the Necromunda scene now. Uh, the Necromunda release model put me off, uh, and the core rules were moving in the right direction for me personally. Yeah. But were quite far away from where. Both of us wanted them to be. Yeah, they were too tied to their their roots as well at the same time. And maybe we try and talk about that later. But it looks like the Blood Bowl skill system, which currently is quite elegant. You roll two dice, so you crank the bell curve of probability. Uh, If you get a double... You uh, and you roll for a skill. You can pick one of your, your your secondary skills. So you know your ogre can get that general skill, and he's taking yeah. a block. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and then if you rolled, uh, I think it's it, any double actually. So you usually roll double six, and would normally have a strength increase. I think you can pick a, uh, oh, a double yeah. skill. You're probably not going to, but you could. Yeah, not on strength. <laughs> um, yeah. It turns out, what's your player take strength? <laughs> Almost. I mean, look, I'm not. It's sure there are Blood Bowl coaches out there. It's, yeah, it's not. Cool. I, I, I know I have on players gone like, no, I really need this double skill instead because he's doing something special. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But, yeah. But strength is always uh, good because it's defensive and, uh, yes. and, and offensive. Um, uh, no, I've short circuited what's happening. We were talking about the advantage. <laughs> yes. So the way that Necromunda did it, uh, this new edition of Necromunda, is essentially you spend your experience. It's an experience point by system. Yeah. So you can, with with Blood Bowl, it looks like you get a certain number of 
<clears throat> a certain cost of star player points, you can buy a random primary skill. Yeah. Or you can buy a spe- then for slightly more money. Yeah. Slightly more star player points, you can buy a specific primary skill. Yes. Then random secondary skills more expensive. Then then pick a secondary skill is even more expensive. And then stat increase. A random stat increase is the most expensive at like 18 star player points. Now, the earning of star player points may have been reworked. Yeah. So we can't go, oh, it's ridiculously expensive. It sounds it right now. Um, But that means that you could go, well, I'm essentially putting two levels of advancement, which is quite a few games in my experience, except with certain positionals, into gambling on what stat increase you get. Now... All stat increases are welcome. Sure, but they're certainly not equal. 100%. I mean, look, if I look at a human catcher and I get I roll a strength upgrade, yeah. I'm happy to take that because he's already starting at three. Oh, sorry, two. two. I was so say, he's at a big but, disadvantage Yes, already. so he, he's... But that, <clears> that's also an important break point. Going from two to three is huge. Going from three to four is huge. Going from four to five, it's nice. Yeah. And strength is also not a not a uh, currently is not a uh, a straight graph a straight line on a graph no uh, because of when you start getting into uh, three dice yes um, so yeah I, I I'm not sure that I, I I like the current system it's just elegant and simple yes. whereas the current one I think gives you more analysis paralysis between games like oh what do I spend do I spend it oh and so much scope for disappointment. Yes, my real main worry is the random skill because skills are not created equal. I don't mind too much the random skill when you've got the option for buying specific skills. Yeah. That is okay. Uh, Ra- so always I, random characteristics is a problem for me. I've always hated Games Workshop. Oh, get a random skill from this. Well, Necromunda is the the obvious example of like, oh, you you've been sniping people, so you just got gunfighter. Or you just got like a skill which makes you better with a chainsaw or medic. You're like, well, all of these skills are great, but but not for that guy. Not on that guy. And yeah, you can move things the, about, but it just didn't feel the right. worst bit was the heavies. Yeah, because they had access to the strength skill, and you had six skills. Five of strength the strength skills are close combat based skills. Yeah, and the sixth one is you can move and fire a heavy weapon. Yeah, your heavy really wanted <clears> that skill and had. No use for any of the other five. Yeah, and it was just like, thanks. This this is awful. Yeah, it, it, especially when you acknowledge the reality of club based campaigns where they they need to be short in order to uh, complete or people move off and yeah. play other things. That wasn't the case in the past because there weren't that many competing games. But now, even if you only play Games Workshop games, you're probably the competition playing, is insane. You might play a handful of different games in the same setting. Yeah. There's, there's so many games that they do now that all require you keeping up with the meta that you could quite... Yeah, you it's, run into it's, the same problem it's, it's, that we a, run into. It's a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, I have reservations about that. Again, I'm. this is not a judgment. This is just thoughts. Yes. I mean, it, it's... To a certain extent, it also comes down a little bit to trust. How much do you trust that Games Workshop can do this well and get it right? Well, based on the Necromunda rule set, not entirely. But then based on, say, Adeptus Titanicus, although I don't believe that has an advancement system. It does not, not inherently. Um, 
then you know th- that that seems to be a pretty good game. Adeptus Island is a good game. Um, my quibbles with that are not with the game. It's with, not with the core design. No. It's with the units, isn't it? Yeah, I have I have some annoyances with the knights, which is basically infantry in a game that's not about infantry. Yeah, they're almost playing a different game. Yeah. The uh, yeah, to life, yeah. And I really like Games Workshop to stop pretending it's a Horus Heresy game. <laughs> Well, that just that just restricts the number of uh, models that they have to produce. Whereas the second you say it's forty k, it's like right. Where are my orcs? Where are my elder? Where are my tower? Where am I? I really want some elder titans. Of course, you fucking do. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, at the minute, the games workshop are basically going like, well, one sprue covers every faction we cover. Yeah, for I, anything. Look, I think that's the clever way to do it. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad business decision. I'm saying this is not what I want from the game. I, I still own yeah. a bunch of it. So yeah. I mean, ah, yeah. So yeah, like you say, it, co- it comes down to trust. And again, tr- this isn't going to make me pass judgment, but it does inform how I feel, how my, yes. re- yeah, my well, emotional reaction. Also, I would like to say that this is an area Games Workshop have traditionally done quite badly at. Yeah. The advancement and campaign systems of... Like, I've enjoyed a lot of their campaign-based games. Yeah. The systems have always been... Let's call them unequal. Well, I mean, we look at Necromunda. I loved Necromunda uh-huh. when, when I was a teenager yep. early teens um, it's I had a lot of fun playing that game I look at that rule set now as an adult yep. who you know obviously has no joy in his heart and is basically dead inside <laughs> and I go this is a bad system where they've shoehorned in second edition 40k into a different setting but not really acknowledged how or not re-evaluated the core stat lines yeah. uh, and then they've also just gone, hey, what would be cool things to, to get? Oh, yeah, gunfighter's really cool. Oh, yeah, double tap. That sounds really cool. Yeah. But they've never really drilled down into the implications of those mechanics and how they work in the game. Really, how they compare against one another. Yeah. How it feels to get shit stats or shit upgrades when you've, you're only making one upgrade every two weeks at best sort yeah. of thing. Because it was a game designed by a bunch of guys who saw each other every single day for work and played games for work. So they were getting advancements all the time, I'm sure, during playtesting. Yeah. And it's like, or, well, if if you play four games in a day and you can just go like, well, and I know the (coughs) studio campaigns and stuff, and yeah, sure, some of those campaigns wouldn't have, but you'd, you'd play a lot. You could play a lot. I mean, this feeds into a wider discussion, which is like density of community. Yeah. If if your core player group is is uh, you know quite spread out and you only get to see each other once a week, but also you've got interest or in a bunch a of different once games, times a month or yeah, whatever, then you're you're going to have a very different experience of a campaign game than people who are doing you know allowed or encouraged rather to play at their place of work. Maybe not inside work hours. I don't know. Yeah. But or even just if like you can go down to the game shop, just go with that and play three nights a week. So you you can never write a you can never write a rule set which pleases everyone, but you certainly can't write a campaign system which would please everyone. No. So my and well that and the fact that just some of the outcomes were just incredibly unbalancing. Yeah. I mean the worst experience of that was Mordheim. Yeah. I was playing. I played Skavens. Would you like me to just randomly kill some of you guys in turn one? <laughs> I have a guy with a great weapon who strikes first and charge eighteen inches. Jesus Christ. Um, I have another guy who infiltrates and then charge 12. I never played more time. <laughs> um, it turns out those two things, problematic. Yeah. 
Uh, it was interesting. I think they did some really cool things with it. Um, you, you had a... I'll just briefly... The henchman mechanic. Mm. So you had some heroes. Yeah. Which were treated just like guys in Nick from Monday. They were each individual and yeah. trapped. But you also had uh, some henchmen, like clan rads or things like that, which were brought in groups of one to three. Okay. And had a much more simplified advancement structure and mood structure. So a little bit like you see in Frostgrave. Yeah. Although I think the grunts just don't get any upgrades. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't nearly as detailed, but yeah. just as broken as the wizard. Yeah. I yeah, I like that idea. I, I like mm. the idea of having some complex characters, your heroes to whom you gravitate, yeah. and then your others. And they sort of tried to do that with the Necromunda re-release. Yes. But it also just came out clunky. Yes, it's messy. Very um, messy. Especially where, like, from our point of view, obviously we're not deeply embedded in the meta. Yeah. But uh, it just didn't seem any point in having a juve, for instance. No. Because however many advancements you sink into them, they're never going to be as good as like a starting ganger. They'll be more specialised, perhaps. Yes. The real problem with the juve <clears throat> was that you need a ganger for every person. And that also applies to yeah. the juve. So you could buy a shit guy, and then you have to buy this other grunt, and then you can buy the grunt again, and then you can get a cool guy. Which, look, I mean, again, th- th- there's another discussion here just on this new edition of Necromunda, which, because I fell off immediately, I'm no longer really yeah. informed enough to talk about. But it it felt like a, a game design where, and I, don't, I can't speak for the people who were working on it, uh, but it feels like some people must have been like, oh, we, we want to push this so it's a modern game. Yeah. We're going to introduce this groundbreaking mechanic of alternating player activations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, which obviously GW hadn't really done before. Wonderful, though. They're moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, but and then, then they go... a bunch of throwbacks. But cool! Look, look at our stat, yeah, look at our stat line. We've taken leadership out as leadership and broken it into three stats. Yes. And as far as we could tell initially, there was barely any use for two of them. Yeah. One of them was like, can you open a door? Yeah. Uh, leadership was leadership. And another one was cool or whatever it yeah. was, which... It's like, well, if you can't roll that into leadership, what are you doing? Um, yeah, it was... Be- because that's the way the stat line mostly looked in Rogue Trader. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. so what you're trying to do is give people that uh, that nostalgia hit because it's Necromunda, you kind of need to, whilst also trying to move the, the game design yeah. forward. And I felt that it, it was a handicapped system as a result. I mean, the other thing that effectively immediately killed my interest was the release model. Of oh, yeah. we'll update the rules every two to three months and then we change some core aspects of it oh the market has changed again oh these rules have now changed the way you do territories are and it was just like no I might come back and look once you've done releasing the game again, but I'm certainly not going to buy yeah. it piecemeal and this this is another another topic that you can explode out on <clears throat> which is the release models that GW adopts tend to be <clears throat> this is the game you play mm. you might play up to three of their games yeah or three games. Yeah. But you can't really play anymore because you need to keep up with it. Yeah. Uh, just simply the way they release it. Especially where you're going, oh, yeah, we're re-releasing Necromunda. Oh, oh, you want you want to play as Delac? Well, you better wait two years. We'll get around to release them, I honest. Mean, we'll give you, like, this bare-bones stat line that you can use, but it's not going to be... It's not going to feel good. It's, it's going to be... Especially when all your mates are running around with... Yeah, get, 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 get lots of cool new stuff and fun weapons and all sorts of things. We'll get around to you guys, but don't worry. Yeah, so 
that yeah, the release model put me off as well. Now, if Necromunda was my shit, if it was like the game I am yeah. playing, not every week, but at least once a month. Yeah. But I'm not playing at least once a month. If I'm if I'm not getting twelve games in in a year, I'm not going to be the customer for that that model. Yeah. And some people are the customer for that. Model. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm not denying there's that there's a market for that inherently with that model. No, it doesn't we, work for me. But, no. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say what what it does is it doesn't work for us. Yeah. Well, look. Give me a dead game. Give me that orphan game. I'll just keep. I'll, I'm interested in the way it's designed. I'll, I'll keep coming back. I'll be quite. I'll be more interested in Incremondo once you're done with it. Uh, Any time these days. For the benefit of a tape, I, I'm raising an eyebrow. <laughs> there is no done with it, and that's that might. Well, let's let's see how. I mean, for a certain value of done, but I can definitely see a point. Probably not in the too distant future where Games Workshop is done releasing anything major for it, and he just sort of let it sit. They've really expanded the stuff that they bring out for the for the gangs. I don't think they'll bring out any new houses, but t- they were talking a couple of years ago about guilds. So you get like the yeah, the, the water guild yeah. and or the water merchants guild or whatever. So I think they've got plenty of uh, it's not design space as such, but. Uh, I guess space within the setting. Yeah, possibly. I mean, that one is easier to expand than turning back to Adeptus Titanicus, where we're seeing new stuff. Yeah, it's not very different. It's also fairly slow. Yes, which actually is more suited to me. Yes, considering I've got upstairs a cellophane wrapped uh, copy of the base game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's actually a really nifty little. I, I game. really want to try it, and honestly, like I, I can now do custom decals. Uh, so I, I'm oh, going to do some stuff. I'm, I was going to say I'm going to have to talk to you about that at some point. You're welcome to. Um, what we should do is we should um, borrow some titans off James. He won't even notice. No. Uh, just keep them. He won't <laughs> notice. <laughs> uh, he's had what three or four different titan legions or something yeah. like that. It's ridiculous. Oh, quickly, just a little shout out to James. I, I discovered a review on like one of our first episodes like, <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago and uh, yeah it was some nice feedback and it was James I was like oh thanks mate I would have thanked you two years ago whenever we started this <laughs> uh, I mean he also he, like, he paints a lot that, yeah. that's the, that's the, the man's machine and it's gorgeous yeah. it's really nice I don't know anyone who can paint quite so many models to quite such a a crisp standard like he doesn't make many mistakes no like Tony can Tony's output is insane like, yes. Tony can get models done real quick to a good standard they're not as clean as James's miniatures I think James has done all of his Adeptus Titanicus stuff with airbrush like exclusively with airbrush yeah oh really hmm. apparently because for a while he, he was like I'm putting down the airbrush I want to get back to brush brush painting yeah we, we, but so but yeah, no, anyway, we, we, we should just have a, a stomp around with a couple of titans. Yeah, um, come on for it. it my, my problem with that game is the knights. Yeah. Because a key part of the whole is the titans and these for the clunky. Knights, not clunky at all. Yeah. Which, uh, it's, it's okay. The problem is that there's so many of them now. I'm certainly interested to see if they start introducing the Aeronautica Imperialis uh, type stuff. Do you get planes because they're in the same scale yeah which obviously allows the scope there yes and if the game gets stale it's a very easy way to go oh, suddenly everything's changed yeah because all these miniatures are already being released yes i mean that's that's the other game where i'm like so i bought into adept titanicus despite going like well if you release elder titans at some point i'll look at it because i tried it then it was actually a really good game imperialis i i'd like to buy some elder planes 
because it'll have playing to call. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to play the game. Yeah. I mean, so you've got, you know, it's a dogfighting game, basically. Yeah. And then Adeptus Titanicus, in many ways... You could you can almost look at it as long as you don't have the knights. You can almost look at it as like almost naval battles. Yeah, not dealing with broadsides in the same way. No, but, but sort of. You've got firing arches, firing arcs, and then your ability to turn and yeah. and, and put those firing arcs on people, which uh, is an easy segue if you're ready for it into Battlefleet Gothic being Ooh. literally naval warfare. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah. You you came across a fan conversion, yeah. So I've I've, I've kept up with some of the fan uh, releases and reworks of some of the Battlefleet Gothic stuff because Battlefleet Gothic a pretty good core system, unnecessarily uh, granular in spots sometimes, and a rulebook that's really hard to look things up in. Yes, uh, some I really mean... cool designs. Some ships were very unbalanced, but then you add in. Things like Necrons, like Elder, were problematic, and then Necrons utterly broke the game. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. one of those things where, like, I was fascinated by the game, but it, I never felt it was uh, good. Yeah, I mean, we played. My club was almost exclusively Imperial and Chaos. Yeah, well, which thing is, as works really well. That does work pretty well because, well, it turns out that's that 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 was what the game was designed around. Yeah, it was initially a two faction game. Yeah. Which is another segue that we're not going to go down just yet. Yes. I don't know if we have time for that segue, but... Well, we'll see. <clears throat> so, yes, uh, there was a, I think there was a Battlefleet Gothic 2010 at one point, which... Well, in 2010, presumably. Uh, <laughs> where people had basically consolidated all of the rules that yes, they, they, that they, point. there's a big FAQ, Battlefleet Gothic FAQ 2010, yeah. which consolidates... All of the core rules with the FAQ, obviously, hence the, being the FAQ, mm. uh, the Armada stuff, and all the Forge World stuff. Yeah. With, I think, some small, small updates and stuff yeah, to make it. There's, I mean, yeah, and, and introducing things like the Adeptus Mechanicus ships and so on. Yes. Um, but this, BFG, I, I think it's called BFG 2020. I mean, I'll try and put a link in the show notes. Um, but this is basically. Uh, an alternating player activation take on Battlefleet Gothic which is exciting which now I've downloaded it and I shared the link to everyone in the club mm. uh, you've looked at it yeah. I still haven't opened the PDF <laughs> uh, but it's it, it's an interesting it, at, thing at its core it's still very much Battlefleet Gothic the real diff- like you still interestingly enough you you don't pick a model and then do everything with it yeah. you still have phases so you have a movement phase and you alternate moving and then you go to shooting, and then you alternate shooting. So is this something... Oh, you have to forgive me, but did Flames of War approach it in that way? Where it was alternating... Act- no, no, uh, Flames of War was still do all of your yes. ter- your models, and then I'll do all of mine. Okay, now ignore me. So uh, I don't know if I've known a game where you alternate activations, but still within discrete phases. Adeptus Atalicus does it. Oh, okay. I mean, Battlefleet Gothic would be a, a massive redesign to move out of phases. Yes, you'd like everything would have to change. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, some of the things that they had to make uh, difference were was uh, hidden orders, mm. because if you like, if someone is reload, you know, someone's reloading ordnance and they move a certain way, you can just move out of the way. Yeah. Uh, before their ordnance is <laughs> turns moved. out, I don't want to be hit by your uh, torpedo yeah. salvo. So they had to had to make little changes around that. But I'm, I'm I mean, I've still got. 
uh, a Tyranid fleet. Tyranids were always dreadful. Uh, and the Depths of Mechanicus fleet. Well, it turns out that the, the fleet based around really short-range close combat doesn't work in the game of uh, let's fly around way far from each other and shoot. Yeah, I mean, their, their, their close-up shooting was absolutely savage, but I so rarely got to execute. Oh, you, you want to run forward? I have lots of torpedoes. Yeah. I, I had a notable <laughs> game against someone who knew that I had a Tyranid fleet, mm-hmm. and so he rocked up with a Nurgle fleet. Interestingly, for Nurgle, all painted in red and gold. <laughs> Novel choice, but sure. Knobhead. I, so, so basically, I was like, would have thought that Corn was a better choice anyway. Well, the thing is, Nurgle was just denial. You cannot board Nurgle ships. Oh. Which basically meant my Tyranids, like, it wasn't the only thing that they wanted to do, but it was probably... 35% oh, of because the way I remembered it, Nurgle just got another hit point on every ship, which oh, was no, strong. And you can't board them. Interesting. Which is a, is a ridiculous rule to put in a game. Yes. I mean, uh, we never did much boarding anyway, so that never really sure. affected me. Yeah. So the, the experience of Tyranids was always, they move very slowly. They have like 15 centimetre range weaponry a lot of the time Uh, and not only that if that weren't restrictive enough they also had a flow chart which told you what you were allowed to do so can you see an enemy is it within this range you have to go and snag on directly towards it so your agency as a player was was real low Uh, and if someone could outmaneuver you you could do very little about it because they could just kite you because you're you're an AI goon in a video game. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, it would be quite an interesting NPC fleet to put into a game. Mm-hmm. Like here's a small small contingent of churned ships here. You have to deal with that and your opponent. And you, there were ways of using your leadership to override stuff. Sure, um, of course. But it was it took a lot of time, and it was not rewarding to play as then. No. Probably, and this is the thing with with Battlefleet Gothic back then. Fleets did feel like they were meant to feel. Yeah. The game wasn't balanced as a result. Uh, Necrons, like I said, were completely broken. They, they could have a, an escort ship which could fly 40 centimetres, make multiple turns. If it touched another escort ship from the opposing mm. uh, faction, that escort ship died automatically because of a quirk of the rules. Ah, oh, my heavily escort-based chaos fleets, I'm sure, would be fine with that. Yeah. Oh, I'll put 18 escorts on. Oh, turn two. Oh, you've removed all of them. Yeah. Um... But- this yeah. may be apocryphal, but I believe there was a part of an interview where, you know, it's like, well, Necrons are meant to be terrifying. Like, when they show up, almost no one survives. Like, one ship shows up. Sure. You're like, okay, but you're making a game. But that's not fun. It's got points values. You're making a game. Yeah. So, if you want to write a novel, please go ahead and write yeah. that novel. But if you're making a game, it, it, you're meant to be, it's meant to be fun. If you're like, oh, hey, yeah, do you want to play uh, Necrons, attack some Imperials? I'm going to roll some dice while removing my models, and you just win. And he's like, well, we can do that, but I don't think there's much narrative to it at that point, if it's so one-sided. No. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that super annoyed me, but um, I only played Necrons once. Never seen them. My opponent agreed that he wasn't going to play with them anymore. It's like, well, you know, I sort of knew this was going to happen, but there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm interested to give this a go. I've still got some models. Um, I'll give it a crack. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if there's been changes to Tyranids at all, uh, but I, I also have some Space Marine fleet, so, you know. I mean, I've I, I sold my Chaos fleet, unfortunately, but I have a big drop fleet. Fleet? Yeah. 
Um, Drop Fleet was another one of the ones we tried to go like, we'd like a spaceship game. This is a new spaceship game, maybe it's any good. Some of it was really promising. And then it turns out that by around turn three or four, the entire board explodes and everyone dies. A little bit, and it suffered from serious traffic jam problems. Yeah. Which, look, spaceship games. Yes, but I really like the whole scanner range and... <clears throat> signature. Signature and stuff. That was really cool. Something beautifully elegant about that. And then the and rest then, of the then, game... And then it mostly... Then it mattered for one turn per game. Yeah. And then all of the claiming surface objectives and stuff was so like unnecessarily complicated for something where you're just dealing with counters. Yeah. I did like that they went, look, space battles wouldn't take that place in the void of space. Yeah, no, no. You, you. There's a reason why you're having the battle. It's because yeah. you want to control access to planets. Yeah. You don't have a battle. You don't draw your battle lines, you know, the other side of the bridge across which if your opponent, you know, crosses, everything's going to go wrong. You meet them at the bridge because it, it narrows their yeah. attack. Like, yeah. Obviously, you're going to... So, I like that it was all about orbital stuff yes that was cool it had a it had a bunch of good ideas unfortunately they didn't quite come together in the right way I don't know if they've done another edition yet they've done another drop zone edition but I don't know if they've done a drop fleet edition Ooh. anyway this is sort of rapidly descending into uh, yes other stuff well shall we quickly mention the other well, the other space game the, space the game. other space fleet game so Star Wars Armada uh, tried to follow up and capitalise on the success of X-Wing. Yes. Uh, which is very successful. Um, and this, it was, this, this was less? This was less successful. I think it was pretty good for them definitely wanting to stick to the, hey, we've got a movement widget, uh, but this is a different movement widget uh, model. I think that worked. Yeah. Uh, I did play it once, and I remember enjoying it. I have never played it since. As far as I know, the rules have been received quite well. Hmm. Like, it's supposed to be quite a decent game. Um, speaking of the two-faction thing, yeah, I was not interested. It's difficult, isn't it, when a game is two factions? Uh, at this point, because it's just very limiting. Yeah, and I think I mean look, the problem for both you and I is that we don't really like Star Wars that much. Yeah, I mean, so, so no I, emotional attachment. Yes, to I could it. have been on board with a Chaos versus Imperial two faction game because okay, I could. I mean, I'm playing one. It's Titanic. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, Rebels versus uh, the Imperium in Star Wars. Uh, I'm just not bothered. Yeah, it's interesting actually because Adeptus Titanicus is almost a one faction game. Yes, because both sides use the same models. You've got some special rules that will put you in one house or Tiny one legion ones. Uh, as yeah, another. Yeah, not very. But it's essentially a, a, a fairly flat playing field. Oh yeah. But yeah, I think I, it, this is interesting. It's almost like we're, we're disagreeing with ourselves as we're talking about it. But like having just two factions is. I'm someone who always wants to look for the, the the less popular thing and something a bit quirky, and it doesn't give you any space for that. No. But you're doubling the game. Yeah, so they've, they're introducing another two factions. Yes. Which you're going to have to tell me what they are and when uh, they're set. Right. Uh, it's the Republic. So they're yeah. basically setting it during the Clone Wars. So a different time period. Yeah. Not that I've... No, you can play every, all of it. Uh, so you have the, Repub the Republic fleet and you have I think it's called CIS yes Community of Independent Systems or Commonwealth of something like that yeah, yeah. In something in like that independent someone who's not part of the 
Republic. Yeah. I forgot the word there. <laughs> um, so that's very interesting. The, the, inter- the potentially even more interesting question is, can you make people reevaluate a game that's been out for this long? Yeah. Just like that. And so you say that you can play either of the new factions against either of the old factions. I as certainly well. assume so, because otherwise it would be two different games. Otherwise, yeah, literally just creating two different games. I can't remember how X Wing has dealt with this either, because X Wing had to do basically the sequels yeah. uh, as, a, as extra stuff. So you've got uh, Poe and. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if. I mean, mean I, I know they're mechanically compatible, but. but I, do, I, do you mean is there like thematic restrictions yeah. of, oh, you can't have this character and this character in the same fleet because they literally don't exist in the same, yeah. t- same time range? No idea. I could Google it, but actually thinking about it, the answer has to be, of course they're compatible because we're printing money. Yeah. Why fragment your player uh, base? I wouldn't... I mean, you could go like, okay, well, you, it doesn't matter what your opponent is playing. So you could, like, colour code the characters and go like, you can use blue and greens together or greens and yellows or yellows and red, but you can't use blue and red. Yeah. You could do something like that. Um, it seems unnecessarily complicated and honestly if people are that fussy about it you can do it for their own fleet yeah so that would certainly be my approach to it I just wouldn't care yeah like can you run Luke Skywalker at the same time as Cameron Poe is that his name that's Cameron sounds right yeah sounds Star Wars-y yeah Um, yeah I mean that would be my approach to it I don't know if uh, Amada is as uh, character driven as X-Wing is no I, again I, I don't think so that, so this is a um, very uninformed so chat at the end here. probably less problematic <clears throat> I mean you could go like well you're not going to have late rebel ships fighting against the Republic fleet because they never coexisted and stuff and yeah. I mean yeah, I'm sure you're right I think the fighting alongside one another is probably where the restrictions would come in if there are any yes which is and obviously, you're not going to be able to have two Millennium Falcons. You no. can have two of whatever that ship is called. Yes, you can uh, have one. model it is. Yes. You can have uh, the Millennium Falcon and the not Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I I think it's it's good for the game. Because yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's still going. They haven't yes. just aborted it. So there must be a scene uh, that I don't see. Yes. Uh, X-Wing is hard not to see the scene because you go to any a convention, uh, convention and there's a bajillion oh, people playing it. Yeah. Um, it may as well be a collectible card game for the numbers that they may be able to get for tournaments. It sort of is. Yeah, the model is uh, definitely derivative of yeah. collectible card games. Yeah. Oh, you you would like this upgrade? Well, it comes in the box with this ship over here. But I believe you can look on a website at that's, all of the upgrades. I, I think stuff. that's an app, actually. Yeah, so, which I think is legal to use in tournaments. I'm not sure. Okay, so it's not it's no longer forcing you to purchase plastic in order to get card. No, I don't think so, but. Yeah. I don't play the game. Yeah. So I'm not sure. But yeah. But in, regardless, it's nice to see. I would like a spaceship game to be successful. Mm. Like, it would be great if there was a, a space fleet game that became a big hit. Partly because it'll undoubtedly inspire more of that type of game. It's always interesting to see new types of games. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are problems that you need to solve with uh, with like capital ship games. Yeah, I mean you have the Halo game as well. Oh yeah, that's which not... I, I think it effectively released and then just died. I mean, quite honestly, screw anything that Spartan does. Uh, did <laughs> um, I, I'm not not a fan. Um, 
it's now okay to go on record as that because they're dead. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think the traffic jam problem is almost insurmountable because oh yeah, you can pass through each other's shit. The the vastness of space. Don't worry about it. Mm. This is just a two D representation. Yeah, of course. I've still got a physical model which has got you know like a forty fifty whatever mil plastic base. Yeah, and I um, sit on sat on a rod at a certain height. Yeah. That's going to collide with one of your models. Yes. And I mean, one of the problems with Battlefleet Gothic was you've got a plastic rod, so it's cylindrical, mm-hmm. and it goes into a circular hole, and then you really need to preserve your arcs. And you catch something, and, it's, and it just spins, and you're well, like, of course, yeah, glue it in place. Okay, then it's going to snap out, and you'll never get the thing out. You're going to drill yes. it again. Oh, just, oh, you, you know those battleships, those the, the big models? Yeah, all metal on a thin plastic pad. I mean, even uh, even drop fleet the uh, the battleships, battleships in resin, yeah. were heavy enough. are problematic. Yes. <clears throat> so I think there are some like real world physics problems that you actually need to think about. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm almost at the point where I'd be like, just move it to a hex board. I. Be fine playing with that. You can't. You can't stop in the same hex, but you can move through. Fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd. I'd really like to see something which approximates what happens in the expanse. Yeah. Because the way that uh, that, that the Rosinante gets uh, flown around in the show is sort of slingshotting and. Yes, yeah, it just... feels like someone has actually thought about if you want this type of combat in space, what does it actually look like? Yeah, and it looks like us firing out a load of solid shots that will hopefully will puncture the hull and a person inside it. Yeah, and every now and then just rail gunning a thing. Yeah, and, and lot, torpedoes, lots and lots of guided torpedoes, which you, again you use your uh, your solid shot as uh, point defense. Yes, that. which is a bit like with uh, Battlestar. Mm. With the 2005 show, so, we had this conversation so, so, the day, somewhere yeah, around there, yes. Than I thought, but yeah, maybe 2004, um, <clears throat> where they'd have a lot of missiles, a lot of uh, you know assault craft, and then just this wall of flak fire. Four, yeah, 2004. Yeah, uh, this just detonates a kilometer away from the ship, and yeah. this wall of debris. Yeah, nothing's going through that, and I, I it was really evocative. Yeah, and you had the fighter pilots and stuff. The, the trouble is, like fighters in space, if you really want to be a bit of a boring twat about it, and <laughs> it makes I do, no sense. Uh, it, yeah, it doesn't work. The physics that doesn't really work. You, the amount of energy you would have to expend in order to be it, 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 it's not a sensible idea. No, like turn, turn that fighter. Into a guided missile, mm. it it becomes better at his job. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you sort of actually have that in Battlefleet Gothic with the uh, strike crafts and turrets and stuff. Mm. It's just very abstracted. Yeah, because you've zoomed out and looked at even bigger things. Yeah, so things like the Rosinante might become an escort, but it could just be a heavy strike craft. I mean, yeah, in the scale of Battlefleet Gothic, it is not even an escort. No. The destro- it's not even a destroyer. No, I was going to say, the destroyers are probably the smallest ship that have an individual model. Yeah. Um, and the Doniger, the big battleships, are cruisers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the scale of Battlefleet Gothic has always been wacky. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a Games Workshop game. Bigger is better. Yeah. 
I actually really like Battlefleet Buffy. I love the designs of the ships. Mm. Uh, there's, there's very few of the actual officially released ships that I don't like. The Tyrannies were garbage. I made my own from plastic 40k bits, of course, like everyone else. Yeah. Um, well, and the Orcs were explicitly like, oh, you want like a Space Hulk because built one. The, the only problem I have with the Orc ones is like, oh, look, we, we're taking the 40k aesthetic, making it a little bit smaller. So they're hammering on all these plates, and we oh look, you can see rivets. Yeah. And like that rivet is the size of like my house. Yeah. Shut up! Um, don't be ridiculous. Because obviously, at some point with miniatures, it just detail becomes noise. And I think if you want it to be inverted commas realistic with an orc ship, it, it would just be noise. It wouldn't look aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing, and that's really important. No, an orc ship would just be. A collection of random shapes. Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I like the Elder with their sails and uh, the, <sighs> the, the two different tail ships so, uh, designs. I like those. So the reason I didn't <clears throat> actually like the Elder ships very much. Oh, okay. Which is weird because I play Elder in anything I can. <laughs> sort of. I played... I mean, that, that like I played Elder in 40k... I have Epic Epic I've played three different L teams in Blood Bowl I've played two different L armies in Fantasy uh, <laughs> I didn't really like them in Battlefield Gothic and the rules are really boring okay they are maneuverably interesting but the ship's profiles themselves feel really dull to me uh, okay so I was just never interested in playing them that yeah were they very susceptible to fire Yes. That's the thing that the Tyrannies did. If they got within 15 centimetres of you, mm. I think like every hit caused a fire or something ridiculous. Yeah, because by then, because they effectively don't, they don't have many hit points and they didn't have any power fields. So you had your hollow field, which was 2 plus save against anything except for uh, battery weapons, which was another shift instead. So you would roll oh, okay. even fewer dice. Yeah. So that was the way the elders worked. So anything you actually landed, you also had a much higher chance of doing critical hits on them. Sure. So if you were just sort of like, well, I can see why you've made the design the way you have. I just don't like it. Yeah, so sure. I played um, a, a, a torpedo-based Chaos Fleet, which was not what the Chaos Fleet did, except if you took all of these really cheap escorts that had two torpedoes each. Yeah. I owned like 12 of them. <laughs> I can't remember which Chaos Cruiser I really hated. Was it like the Carnage or the Slaughter? It was just so fast. Uh, yeah, it's one of those two. Yeah, yeah, and it, like it, was, <clears throat> it could boost faster. Yeah, and then it had massive broadsides. Yeah, so it's like, oh, I'll stream straight into your fleet and then just wreck two ships. Yeah. Oh, you might kill me afterwards, but turns out I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think we should probably call it there. I think so. Oh, actually, there is one thing that occurred to me with Blood Bowl discussion. Yes, we were halfway into like Battlefleet Gothic when 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 it occurred to me. The splitting out of agility and uh, passing yeah. actually gives you some design space to fix the human catcher. Because them having strength too is is silly. Yes. It's there as a balancing thing, so it keeps their cost reasonable yes. whilst allowing them to be in the, the all-comers human list. Yes. But if, if you make their passing hot garbage, which it should be because they've got an oven mitt on, it's yeah. going to be quite difficult to pass, then... You could bring them back up to strength three. Yeah. Keep their movement speed. That's fine. Yeah. And have their agility still be three. Uh, three so what? Uh, uh, four plus for everything. Yeah. Uh, but make their passing like six plus. Make it just total shit. 
I mean, the you trouble can, you, is... You, you can make it five, and it's still... Five is risky enough that it's not a thing you're ever going to want to do if yeah. you can possibly avoid it. The counter-argument is like, why are you passing with your catcher? If he's caught it, he's running for the end zone. Yeah, but he might pass to my other catcher. Yeah. <laughs> it also, it turns out that the, it's a human catcher who has the ball. Guess who's going into the dirt? Yeah. I mean, so often I would run a blitzer around the catcher at the same time. The catcher would do most of the work. The blitzer would have got up there. Yeah. And the, patch, the catcher would just pass it off to yeah. the blitzer. And then the blitzer would get the star player points and be less likely to die with them. Yeah. I mean, that, anyway. that, that, that's, that play exactly is the other reason why the pro-elf catcher is so good. Mm. Because Nerfs of Steel works for you. Ignore tackle zones for catching. But you also ignore tackle zones for passing. And you yeah. can have four of them. Yeah. Oh, oh, you blitzed my. Uh, oh, I got dumb off. Yeah. Sorry, the ball is not here anymore. Which is ostensibly what the Dark Elves sort of did a little bit, but uh... the Dark Elves are much more fighty. Yeah. This, he came with dumb off as well. The runner. Yes. Does, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yes. We should call it here. <laughs> this has certainly been rambly. <clears throat> yeah, there's, I, there's, I, there's been a structure. I think when we started this podcast, we wanted to talk about topics and yes. we've gotten away from that for various reasons um certainly both of us have had a an enthusiasm hit due to lockdown because we're not seeing each other to play games weekly was, or seeing each other play games yeah weekly. i was gonna i mean this is the first time we've done an in-person recording since february yeah something like that and it just yeah if, if we see each other in passing at the club even if we're not playing the same game yeah. one of us will have had an experience that night where we're like Buddy, I need to yeah. talk yeah. about this quickly. Just, just a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, yeah. I hope we, I hope we get uh, back up to speed again. Um, I mean, we do have another uh, episode in the hopper as well. Yeah. Uh, on the, uh, a model discussion yeah. for Bushido. So I'll put that out after this. I was going to put this out after that. Yeah, but because, but because this is vaguely thing, yes. topical. Yes, we should do that first. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't played anything miniature based since first week of March. Yeah, and we, we both bought Tabletop Simulator and completely failed to use it for a miniatures game. You've played board games on it, obviously, as we discussed in the previous yes. episode, but I haven't even opened it. Yeah. So, hmm. And that's part of the enthusiasm problem. It's like, yeah. I could play this game, but if I'm not on my computer anyway, yeah. I'll play this other thing. So we've got some ideas for doing um, some, some stuff around Bushido yeah. with the tournament. And that's going to require us both being very familiar with Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. So at some point, and I'm not going to commit to a date because I've got enough experience now, uh, that we will do, we will stream our, we'll certainly stream me loading it up for the first time and we will go through a game. Yes. I have, I've actually loaded the module quite early on. So I've, I've been in inside it once. Yeah. Uh, I haven't played a game in it, so... <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, I'm filled with uh, anxiety over the concept of people watching me play live because I, like, I may seem, I hope I seem, we've got a fucking podcast, you kind of <laughs> want to be, seem like I might be fairly articulate about some stuff and have, yeah. have a lot of thoughts about things. The second the clock goes on, <laughs> that all goes out the window and I make stupid mistakes all the time. Well, I was going to say, we are opinionated and that doesn't mean we're any good. Hey, I could be opinionated and uninformed. <laughs> I'm a middle class white dude. <laughs> uh, on the internet. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, it might be because I'm not spending the whole time chatting shit, although obviously we will be on Discord, oh. but it might, I might get it done in time and without making any horrible mistakes. I was going to say there'll actually be potentially less distractions doing it on TTS than there are down at the club. 
Oh, you don't know how many tabs I can have open, mate. Well, <laughs> I mean, same. But we're not going to have... Tony is not going to come over and go like, just a thing, and then talk for 25 minutes. Yes, this is true. Me, this me. is true. Uh, it is very difficult at the club. It's, it's wonderful, and I love it. But where... Oh, it wasn't a criticism. No. It's just, this is why games take so long. Yeah, because you don't just go there to play a game. No, it's a social experience. Yeah, exactly. Right then. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, people. And we will talk at you some point soon yes if you want to hear more discussion about the guild ball topic I know that Precinct Omega has just today as we were recording put out uh, an episode about it so I don't know what the content is but based on his previous stuff it's been good yeah I'd, I'd say he'll he'll have done the research uh, and it should be fairly interesting alright cheers bye bye find Robot Dice Explosion at robotdiceexplosion.com at RDE underscore podcast at Twitter and Robot Dice Explosion on Facebook.